episode of Stardust, the book. I, for a second there, <laughs> forgot what it was we were doing. But we are back and it is time to continue with our beautiful recording. We make no promises if it's going to be any less chaotic than the first part. Yay! Probably won't, to be honest. There is a lot to get through. And as it is when you have a complex story like this, it happens that we jump back and forth a lot. And what I like to do is, turns out, this is the second time we're covering a book, is that in between our recordings, because uh, we are totally recording this in one go, but we also recording it in uh, multiple sessions because it's fucking long. I like to go through the book again and again and, and like add things to my notes. So... <laughs> to make sure that it is more chaotic. Yeah, things you want to add to our previous recording. No, not to the previous one. But like, you know, I was going through the stuff that we will probably cover today and just, you know, checking if I have everything that I wanted, especially since we have the beginning of the book in mind and we've talked about that and we have made certain points and I want to make sure that those points get accurately conveyed into my notes and into today's recording. Well, since I honestly don't know if this bit is going to end up in the first or second episode, let's get into it. We are now in chapter four. Can I get there by candlelight? Ah... <sighs> And I feel like I heard that phrase so many times, but... Yes, but we haven't. <laughs> we're going to get into into the poem, and I have the poem written down in my notes. But we first start out with following Tristan through his journey. And he is leaving October behind, as we have discussed. This is October in our real in world. Our world. In our world, it is October. And clearly it is not October in fairy. Maybe October in fairy is very summery. Yeah. So my big note on this chapter, and this is something that's going to continue happen throughout the, the rest of the book. Tristan constantly thinks gratefully about his teacher, Mrs. Cherry, who uh, has taught him a lot of things that he is going to utilize quite a lot in the fairyland. Even all the way until the end of the book. Exactly. So yes, Mrs. Cherry, I am loving her character and I'm very happy that we have references to her being such a strong influence on uh, Tristan's life. In general, Tristan in the book is extremely appreciative of everything people around him and in his life have done for him. Not just his teacher, but everything that is being done for him or to him that we witness, he appreciates. And yeah. he even takes later on sometime to ponder that him being appreciative of receiving help is actually what has helped him more. So I appreciate his appreciative side. <laughs> <laughs> no, but for me, of course, I have to point out only when we covered the previous three chapters, I realized that the small hairy man is the one we met before because I wrote down Tristan encounters a small hairy man who knows Dunstan but the man staying with him back then was tall so I'm quite confused. <laughs> but now yeah. he had two people stay with him. One who paid him with a miracle and one who slept basically in the like stable thingy with him. Yes, so, it, it's a cow buyer. Yeah. So now that is cleared up. I was highly amused by the name for the small hairy man because the man's name is charmed but it used to be confusticated and confusticated comes from confuse and confound and I am very confusticated. <laughs> 
it shows that Neil Gaiman just loves playing with words. And this is, I think, one of the reasons why him and Terry Pratchett were such a good friends and they worked so well together because they both have so much joy in the language and in the usage of language. Carrying that into their work and uh, towards their readers is just something that brings me happiness. Yeah. So Charmed is not a fan of Victoria, which in the beginning I related more to than in the end because... Especially in the end, we see that Victoria has more depth than she is awarded in the movie. Yeah, that is an understatement. Also, no surprise that he has not much love for Victoria because he doesn't actually know her. He only knows her from the description that Tristan gives him. And that's not very wholesome. Like, he doesn't really talk about other qualities than that she's beautiful. And like, maybe he mentions that she's smart or whatever, but there's no tangible proof of that. There is no substance to Tristran's infatuation with Victoria. Exactly. We start off actually their conversation. Tristran wakes up in the morning and he hears a voice and he's offered mushrooms. Yes, mushrooms! Which I am imagining as somewhere between like a mushroom and some sort of a fruit. I don't know why, but it is just the way I am imagining this thing. So they eat mushrooms and... Om nom 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 nom. Yes, Tristan loves them. He introduces himself to the little hairy man. And I did not write down his name, so I just call him Little Hairy Man. As Neil does for the rest of that book, basically. Charmed! Charmed! So Charmed is very friendly and asks Tristan all about him. And Tristan, because he doesn't know any better, shares everything. As we said, he talks about Victoria and babbity babbity boob. And his plan... Yeah. And he reveals uh, the reason why he's there in the first place, which is the star. And the little hairy man is very helpful because he basically teaches Tristran to not talk about his mission, but also mm-hmm. to not lie. So when he's being asked where does he come from, to say from back there and where he's going over there. And it's perfect. Yeah. And during that conversation somewhere at some point, uh, they talk about the star's location and Tristan goes, it's that way. And Charmed uh, mentions something that it's far away. And then we get the whole debate about how far it actually is. And can I get there by candlelight? And Tristan gives us the uh, nursery rhyme, as he calls it. Can I get there by candlelight? Yes. And back again. Yes. If your feet are nimble and light, you can get there by candlelight. Which is How many miles to Babylon is the title. Oh, how many miles to Babylon. Which also makes sense that we were going to get the candle, uh, which is called the Babylon candle in the movie. I don't think they actually refer to it as Babylon candle in the book. Do they? Yeah, I think they do so later on. Pretty sure. Ah, Anything's possible. They have their first adventure together. They have their very first adventure together. And I tried to find if there was anything elsewhere for the flesh-eating Siri wood. There's not. I'm pretty sure this is a game and invention. Yeah, I was hoping that you would check for that. It is interesting situation there where they are Carnivorous so... trees. I mean, come I on, it's amazing. It's giving me very strong Tolkien vibes. It's something that I would expect to happen and find in Middle-earth. But it is also very much Neil Gaiman thing and the kind of circumstances of all of this Living makes woods, sense. yes, but... But carnivorous woods, they don't match well with Tom Bombadil and stuff like that, you know? Like wild woods and evil woods and angry woods. Yes, 
but the moving carnivorous woods... I don't feel that Tom Bombadil would let that pass, you know? Okay, that's fair enough. That's why we have Tom Bombadil. <laughs> exactly. Because Stardust does not have Tom Bombadil, this is why we have flesh-eating Siri Wood. <laughs> okay, yeah, this is, a, this is a canon now. In all of this conversation, like you pointed out, we learn the fact that Tristran seems to have a very curious ability. He only once asked, knows how far away things are and where things are. And this is really curious because since he did not learn about his heritage and Charmed also does not know of the heritage because when he stayed with Dunstan, that was before Dunstan had the encounter and before he received Tristan. Mm -hmm. So neither of those two know that Tristan has fairy blood in him. Mm -hmm. So they don't really know how it comes that he has this ability, but it's also very impractical because he needs to be prompted by someone else. He does not have the knowledge without being asked. I feel like he learns to control it, in parentheses, in a little way eventually, like throughout the book. Well, he tells her to ask him so that she can answer, but he needs to be asked by someone else. But when he's following the star, he can feel her direct uh, the direction within him. Because he already got triggered to know where the star is. At some point, he asks Yvain to ask me where, and then he does that. Hmm. Hmm. So I'm pretty sure he needs like the initial nudge, and then once he knows where something is, he knows. Like the knowledge remains with him but he cannot gain new knowledge like about new things well okay about new things but when uh, the thing that he is looking for uh, in this case Yvain is moving then he is aware because you already like it's already on his map like he has he has a map and there's a fog of war on it and once you clear an area of it then it stays cleared and if you have like a moving figure even if it moves through the fog it just clears away the fog of war away and he can follow it but he cannot place figurines by himself on the board only once he's being asked about a figurine it is suddenly placed on it and then he knows it to be fair this is not that bad because he could very easily just you know have somebody around to be like yeah, he hey do you want to ask me where this is he needs a sidekick yeah that's absolutely fine with me of course he also has a psychic in Charmed, so at least for now, he is all set. Which is also what later on saves their fucking life, because Charm goes like, if we only knew where the path is, because even an implied question apparently works, because Tristan goes, Haha, it's right there. Like, yeah, he doesn't even know. I really enjoyed the way this was written, though, because we have this whole information dump and their conversation and the nursery rhyme and Charm getting upset over the nursery rhyme. And throughout that, we get little hints of, like, he seemed a little troubled when he looked around. He seemed a little confused. And you kind of get to see that things are not really going the way they're supposed to. Mm -hmm. But there's just hints until they actually, it becomes clear that they are fucked. Which I really, really like the way this was this was written. It felt uh, like it drugged me inside the story and their path. And suddenly I felt as blindsided as they were, even though a little suspicious already. Just trying to make sure if I'm actually right, but I think I am right. About? About how Tristan's gift works. Ah. But yeah, because it's like, is there anything we can do? Nothing I can think of. If only we knew where the true path was. Even Siri Wood couldn't destroy the true path it just hide it from us Tristan reached his hand up and rubbed his forehead I, I do know where the path is he said he pointed it's down that way 
Are you sure? Yes, sir. Through that copsy and a little way to the right. That's where the path is. How do you know? I know. Right, come on. So even the implied question is enough. Yep. Sorry, well, just wanted to... Yeah, yeah. This is the thing. Like, to me, I didn't read it as he needs to be asked, you know? Like, I understand where you're coming from, but... He needs to be prompted in a way. Yeah. I get where you're getting that from, and you're probably correct. But to me, it was more of a... If I'm not, please do contact us. Please do contact us and point it out to us. We love getting emails, even when we're wrong. All right, (laughs) let's leave them freshly escaped from the flesh-eating Siri Wood. Yeah. And we pop over to our three living princes. Oh, yes. we uh, They get out and um, uh, charmed find, ghost find Tristan in a blanket, which is a great setup for what's about to happen. But yes, let's go to the princess. Because this is a ginormous difference between book and movie. Here, the princes travel together in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Because in the movie... Right away, they go separate ways, the two. In theory, if you look at the movie, they are together until they bury their father as well. Or until Tertius is dead, depending on how you look at it. Both is true. (laughs) Por que no los dos? Yes. Which kind of corresponds with what we are getting here. Because this is now identical, despite the different surroundings, both in book and movie. Both in book and movie, Septimus kills Tertius with poison. That he does. But this time, he doesn't do it really himself and he although he actually uses the he uses the maid yes here he uses the maid yeah in the movie he uses the servant who brings the cups it was the no the bishop took one the bishop took one of the cup and died Uh, alright so yeah we could Technically, the thing is, right? It was gender swapped. The big difference between the book and the movie is the fact that in the movie, they still have servants around them, helping them on their journeys throughout the book. And in the movie, they also still drink open beverages. In the book, they would never. They would never. Well, at that point, yes. While also in the book, they are very solitary. So Septimus... Kills Tertius, la la la, drama ensues. And after this happens, Primus and Septimus do finally separate and go each their own way. We will, of course, come back to both of them at a later point. But for now, we have to go over and see what is happening with Bernard, who's not Bernard in the book. In the book, he's Brevis. What is goat? And it is a much, much sadder backstory. Yeah, there is a lot of details that are alluded to in the movie but we get a full-blown exposure on uh, Brevis and his Billy Goat. By the way, did you know that Billy Goat is a way to say that it's a male goat? Because I was today years old. One of the things that I actually went to went back and looked up because I just assumed it would be a goat called Billy, but I don't no, know no, no. why it's... <laughs> yeah, right? But I knew I that the Billy why. goat like, was not a goat named Billy, and I think I simply assumed it was a male goat. Yeah, yeah. No, so, but it's very sad that Brevis has like this very poor family, and like, he needs to sell their sad last little goat so that they evil might not die. Evil-eyed Billy goat. And it's like, it's very sad, and the goat is very evil, and he, on his way, he encounters Moronek, or Lamia, or whatever we're gonna call her, um, the witch queen. I, I think we just... should either go with Lamia or the witch queen, because if you call her no, Moronek I, again, I'm gonna I, get really I confused. Always, in my notes, she is Moronek, all the time. More than an egg. More one egg. 
Come on, M O R W A N N E G. Moronic. Woman, you are being deliberate. And so Just Thanks. like in the movie, he gets turned into the second goat, and now she has two goats to pull her chariot. Wow! And they're twin goats. They look exactly the same, which is different. Yeah, both are white. Yes. Yes. He gets turned into a white goat, not a brown goat. Hey. And with this little short excursion with our two baddie groups, we go back to Tristan, who is under a blanket, and hilarity ensues. So basically, he is wearing his undergarments, his bowler hat. Why is he wearing the fucking hat? Because he is clearly attached to it, and I love that. I think it's so, so funny. And it's so ridiculous. This entire situation, this entire moment, is one of my favorite moments of the entire book because it's just so funny and I, I wish we had some version of this in the movie because imagining Tristan wrapped in a blanket with a, just with a hat on and his underwear being attacked by little folk who steal the boar hat and he gets so salty about they it that he don't keeps steal Tristan. it he throws it at them and then they steal it that is yeah. well deserved I mean yes obviously it's well deserved but he gets so salty about it that he keeps referring to it for the rest of the book that's my favorite fucking thing <laughs> also the little folk know what is going on which I found very interesting because they sing Hankety Pankety Boy in a Blanket he's off on a goose chase to look for a star incontrovertibly journeys through fairy strip of the blanket to see who you are so the little folk know that he's looking for the star mm -hmm. and they also know that there is more to him because Tristan Thorn Tristan Thorn does not know why he was born and a foolish oath has sworn truce and coat and shirt are torn so he sits here all forlorn soon to face his true love scorn Wistrand Bistrand Tristan Thorn it's just so cute because the do not know why he was born <laughs> does not know why he was born sorry um is the whole like yeah the alluding to una had him deliberately so that there would be another male heir in her personal line yep. so the little folk know yeah it's one of those things when you have in fairy tales you have certain knowledge that is even like if i'm gonna if i'm gonna be like super transparent and if, if we look at charlie and the chocolate factory mm -hmm. the oompa loompas are they know everything somebody who knows everything there it, it just is something and they sing songs so basically uh the, oompa the loompas little, are folk, little folk yeah and oompa, they're, they're the same They're the Aside same. from the incredibly racist implications in the book, but and probably the movies, but yeah, the Oompa Loompas are potentially fairy. Yes. Yes. Which would make sense even with the whole compilation of where they're from and how they live and stuff like that. If we dismiss the some the, of the let's things. let's dismiss the racism, ignore it existed, and just take the parts we like. For the purposes <laughs> of this conversation, yes, let's do that. Obviously, let's not do that in real life. <laughs> But for the purposes of this situation, yes. It is now canon that Oompa Loompas and the Little Fork are the same. So Charm comes back and he brings back clothing that Tristan is a bit offended by in the beginning. Because wall men were muted brown colors. Which, wow, I would hate living in wall. Says the person who only wears black. That's not true. It's literally not true. When you met me, I was wearing a colorful leggings with a laser T-Rex and a unicorn fighting in front of a rainbow. Yes, but your shirt and your shorts were black. Yeah, but my leggings weren't. And my leggings rarely are. 
so I definitely do not wear only black. Okay. Those days are long past, my dear. You did not know me in my goth days when I actually only wore black. That's so cute, though. I've seen pictures. DM me, you guys, if you want to know more. We could include cringy pictures of ourselves in the highest tier for those who really want them. <laughs> no, we won't. I don't... I don't think I have any. Yes, you do. No, I'm everyone. pretty, no, I'm pretty confident with everything that I've ever... Just because you're confident doesn't mean the pictures aren't cringy. Yeah, I, do, I just can't think of any, any pictures that, is totally that I would fun. choose. You can browse through my old Facebook pictures if you if you want to find something Well, cringy. Facebook is not where you put the cringy pictures. Facebook is where I used to put all my pictures. Mm-hmm. Sure. Super random tangent. No idea why we're talking about Facebook pictures. So he gets his new clothing and it's much better quality, even if he's not like a fan of the design, you know? Yeah, but he gets very comfortable in it very, very quickly, which again is giving me a feeling that he just fits much better into the fairy than he does into our world. I feel Tristan fits in both. He would have been happy in the normal world. Different, but he would have. He could have been happy. He had the capacity to be happy there. He could have been happy, but he wouldn't have been truly happy, I think. I think he would have been happier than his father. I was just going to compare the two of them. <laughs> I think he would have been content. No, I think that's I think that's the difference. I think his father is only content, but I think Tristan could have been happy. I think he can no longer be happy now though because No, 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 no not anymore. Same as his father, because he experienced something different and better suited, he could only be content back home. So fairies like cocaine. Yeah, obviously. Okay, perfect. Or more, no, 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 wait, uh, heroin, I think, is the once you try it. Oh, yeah, true, because coke is usually, not talking from my experience, obviously, but yeah, coke is apparently the one that you're not, like, physically addicted to. I have no idea, but I know people who have done coke once and then never done it again. Exactly. But I don't know anyone who has done heroin, so uh, movies have taught me, like movies like Trainspotting, that uh, heroin is a much different type of drug. Yeah, it's a different beast. So, but I don't really know anything about that. The only drug drug that I ever used is uh, THC. So I'm very boring when it comes to that. Now, we have the moment where he starts getting comfortable in the clothes and Charmed comes up with another way to pay off his debt, which not only he owes to his father, but he now also owes to Tristan his own life. A much bigger debt at that. And that is like, especially the whole saving someone's life is used in so many stories, but especially I feel like with fairy tales and fairy-like settings, saving someone's life comes with ginormous implications. Mm -hmm. And so here he has an opportunity to pay off his debt Mm -hmm. because later on... well. When Tristran saves Yvain's life, due to her custom, she is now basically trapped. Yes. Even if she could return home, so she could. She is metaphorically chained to him rather than uh, yeah. physically chained to him, which is much stronger bond. But speaking of chain, this of course being the biggest difference once again, this is the moment he receives both the Babylon candle and the silver chain. Mm-hmm. And it also is explained to him how the whole thing works. Ish. Yeah. He is, yeah, he is told about the fact that Babylon candle isn't really about the candle. It's all about the wax, which is going to come in handy a little bit later. But... <laughs> in the <end>? <laughs> <laughs> I'm So funny. And as I have written it down, his fairy godmother is the little hairy man instead of Captain Shakespeare, which yeah. breaks my heart because I miss Captain Shakespeare, but all 
also, I love Charmed, so. Basically, the Duke later on with the ship and Charmed thrown together is Captain Shakespeare. Yes. So, obviously, Captain Shakespeare is a superior character. I mean, no, but he's great. And we straight away uh, start traveling by Babylon Candle because it's amazing. Each step simply takes you so much further. And with this, he simply is able to cover leagues upon leagues of distance. And since he knows where the star is, he knows exactly where he's going. Mm-hmm. That's a difference to the movie as well, yeah. because we have a very different style of traveling through the ca- Babylon Candle. In the movie, he thinks of the destination and he is brought to the destination regardless of where it is. It doesn't matter that he doesn't really know where it is because he doesn't have this power in uh, the movie because I yeah. feel like it just would be too complicated to try to convey that. It would not in a, fit in there yeah. and also it's not relevant. Yes. While in here, he is just walking to the correct direction, but he is walking incredibly fast. So well, not fast, but he makes far. leaps. Yeah, he makes big leaps rather than flying through. Yeah, he covers the distances incredibly fast, but not because he's walking fast, but because every single step is several leagues of distance. Yes. And because he is not walking fast, he's not crashing into her. There yes. is no collision or anything. So she already has her broken leg. He does not aggravate the situation. And she is... From the beginning, even before she learns that he intends to like keep her and take her, she does not like him. She throws mud at him. She has like basically all the animosity towards him before she knows anything. So Yvaine, in the book, very much not a fan of anything. I mean, I don't blame her because if I was taken down by a flying fucking rock... I'd be also grumpy. <laughs> no, but in the movie, Yvaine, in theory, was a fan of humanity. Yes. She was I entertained mean, and interested and everything. Isn't she fan of... Doesn't she mention at one point that it looked so nice and dreamy from the top, but now she hates it because she's yeah, down there? She had the illusion that it was nice and fun and everything. Yvaine yeah. has no illusions. Yvaine was never a fan of the people on Earth. What, are you talking about the book or the movie? Yeah, book Yvaine has no illusions no. about how... No. I thought that's what I'm saying. Doesn't she say at one point in the book that she liked watching it from afar, but now she hates it because she's in the... I feel like there's a quote from the movie. I don't... But we will not find this now, so can we not start looking for 300 pages to find one line? She basically just hates everything right now. And I don't blame her because I'd be also a grumpy no, I'm not blaming her. If just something like... the difference. Yeah, um, her entire life got basically taken away from her. Uh, her family got taken away from her. Which we don't know at this point that her previous life is over over and there is no way of her coming back. Speaking of differences though, we also have to point out the incredibly similarity because the way she is described, she looks exactly like in the movie. Yeah. Like down to the dress and her hair and her eye color, everything. They created her picture perfect in the movie to match this from the book. Yes. The casting of Claire Danes is absolutely stunning. And the costume design and the hairstyle and everything. Like it is fucking perfect. Fucking, fucking perfect. And of course, back to the differences. We are now six months on foot away from Wall. Mm-hmm. So there is no seven days until Victoria's birthday. 
this is the thing. It makes the film move much faster because we have a deadline, while in here there is no deadline. He said, I will go get you your star, and there has been no mention of you have to make it back until this point, otherwise I will forget about you and marry somebody else. Which also is like poor Victoria, because yes. this means that if he took several years to come back, she would have to wait for him. She wouldn't necessarily have to, but because she's a good person, she would. Honor dictates that she has to wait. Yeah, exactly. So she is, that is actually She's a better, better word. She is an honorable person, so she is going to wait for him. While I don't think the movie Victoria would. I think movie Victoria would be like, eh, he'll, he's been gone long enough. Humphrey has a big, pretty rock for me. Fuck that. Movie Victoria would never have made an open-ended promise. Exactly. This is why there is a, Deadline. a time limit. To it there is a deadline yeah yeah that is all i have for chapter four do you have anything else indeed this is it good 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 i just loved the amount of swearing and the creativity of swearing that evane presents i'm still not over the fact that i missed the fuck because it's <gasps> typed because i of course read the one rude word in tiny letters and i was like oh, i don't get it yeah because in my in my book it's not tiny letters it's a normal sized fuck which rude seriously Bo-dooms. Rude. <laughs> Normal sized fuck. Okay, chapter five, in which there is much fighting for the crown. Were you familiar with the lion and the unicorn tale fighting no. for the crown? Because I had never heard of that. No, never heard of it. And oh my God, I am just now realizing that we have the actual crown, like the physical crown. I thought that this is referring to the lords trying to get the throne. Up until this very point, until I read this line out loud and you mentioned the crown and the unicorn, I was convinced this is about the lords and nothing else. Wow. I was surprised with the story because mm-hmm. I thought that the unicorn is supposedly the only creature that can defeat the lion, which is why it's the animal of Scotland. I think it was supposed to be that. And like, it's also, yes, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's why. And also in... Because the this... British one is the lion. And yes. so the Scots picked the unicorn because as I was taught, the fables tell us that the unicorn is the only animal able to defeat the lion. But this fairy tale has the lion as the victor. Yes, yes it does. This is also the reason why in a lot of depictions the unicorn is on a chain. Yeah, I know, I know. But uh, Especially even in Dublin you have uh, like the three, you have the lion, the unicorn and the harp, but the unicorn still has the chain because all under the rule of queen and kingdom and bullshit like that but I'm just very very confused because I was not familiar with this tale and so I feel like maybe at some point I need to read up on this if Hmm. maybe Mr. Gaiman took some liberty and in the original the unicorn is victorious it looks for a bit that the unicorn will win this confrontation though so maybe he was just a bit decided to trick us into thinking oh this is the way we know it but it is not let me see let me see lion unicorn fighting crown the Lion and the Unicorn, here, a nursery rhyme picture book. Oh, on the Royal Code of Arms of the United Kingdom, you have the lion that is crowned, but not the unicorn, obviously. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, so they would... 
Huh. The nursery rhyme is because of the Scottish unicorn and the British lion. It makes sense to me. I was just going to say, like, maybe the English made this nursery rhyme so they could show the okay, Scots listen, that they listen will to beat this. them. Listen to this. The lion and the unicorn are symbols of the United Kingdom. They are, properly speaking, heraldic supporters appearing in the full royal coat of arms of the United Kingdom. The lion stands for England and the unicorn for Scotland. The combination therefore dates back to the 1603 ascension of James I of England, who was already already James VI of Scotland. By extension, they are also used in the arms of Newfoundland since 1637, Hanover, blah, 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 blah. The traditional legend of enmity between the two heraldic animals as recorded in the nursery rhyme. It's usually given with the lyrics. The lion and the unicorn were fighting for the crown. The unicorn beat the lion all around the town. Some gave them white bread and some gave them brown. Some gave them plum cake and drummed them out of town. The legend of the two animals may have been, int- may have been intensified by the Acts of Union 1707. And it was one year later that William King, 1663 till 1712, recorded a verse similar for the first similar to the first stanza of the modern rhyme. This seems to have grown to include several other verses. Apart from those above, only one survives. And when he had beat him out, he beat him in again. He beat him three times over, his power to maintain. This rhyme was played upon by Lewis Carroll, who incorporated the lion and the unicorn as characters in his 1871 novel For the Looking Glass. Here, the crown they are fighting for belongs to the white king which given that they're on the white side as well makes the rivalry all the more absurd haha <laughs> no so yeah this is the fucking yeah england and scotland and uh, so the lion has to win the lion has to win because scotland is still under the rule, rule of, of england. england and it is that way till this very day until the next referendum hopefully in this chapter we have tristan sharing his love for Victoria a lot and talking about Victoria and everything he is much more explicit in his obsession with Victoria I did not feel that the movie had him harp on about it so much and so frequent he did at the beginning and I felt like it was much worse like in this case I was actually annoyed no no the other side i was actually quite i got that every time he started talking about it we get a lot of internal monologue about that he doesn't speak as much about it out loud uh he does speak about it but not not as much but he is also very kind and polite towards he makes her a splint he he makes her a a crutch he he gives her a splint he tells her i'm not a surgeon so we should get you to some proper doctor he is really genuinely trying to be helpful which he's less in the cruel movie in the book yeah. in the movie he seems cruel because he seems to not care about her hurt lack at all yeah. and here he cares also in the movie they have he has her actually walk on it and yeah. because it doesn't seem like it's actually broken she has a in the movie ankle in the movie yeah. i feel yeah must be because otherwise I yeah. don't really see how she'd be able to walk at all. Yeah, which in the book she can't because she is in tremendous pain and it never fully heals. Exactly. There's loads of things that regarding that broken leg that are suggested and hinted at in the movie, but we get like a full blast here. So we get him really trying to be helpful and nice about the fact that he's basically taking her for a slave at this point. And he seems to also be more competent because in the movie he is just a shop boy. Really? And he's a fucking dork who doesn't know what himself, his body and his brain is doing half of the time. Here, he is much more adult in all He's the more areas. deliberate in uh, his actions. So he knows how to make a splint. He knows how to make a crutch. Yeah, he's more grown up. 
He has more experience. He has more knowledge. Yeah, he's done more things in his life that are practical, I feel like. Because it feels like he has done more actual labor. Yeah, it feels like he's a dreamer in the movie, while here he's just... Here he's only a dreamer when the wind is blowing a certain direction. Yes. And the rest of the time he is a fully functioning societal member <laughs> of Wall in their dark brown muted clothing. He is 16 or 17, who knows, but he is old enough to be a working functional member of the society. According yes. to Neil, he's 17. According to our mouth, he's 16. Exactly. <sighs> the if you want to know why, you need to listen to the bonus. <laughs> True. <laughs> now, we get another show of his abilities when Yvain asks if there's an, any other way, any easier route they could take. And he's like, oh, yeah, so there's a road over there, but there's also a clearing right there. And she makes the executive decision to go for the clearing, mm -hmm. which is lucky. Or maybe it's not luck. Maybe it's Maybelline. No, we do later on basically learn that the unicorn was sent by the moon, right? Yes. Basically, yes. But before we reach the clearing, we learn that Yvain is obliged to carry the Stormhold Stone. We don't learn why, but basically being taken out by the stone from the sky, she has to carry it until she is asked for it by a rightful person. So once again, just like Tristan's gift, she needs to be asked. She cannot give it to someone without being asked for it. Just exactly. like Tristan can ask someone to ask him the right question, but he cannot ask himself the question. This world is very much based on very specific rules. Those things have rules. Yes. All of those things. Exactly. So that was very, very interesting to me that their gifts slash obligations are so similar. Mm -hmm. So yeah, curious, curious, curious. We come to the clearing and uh, if you are patron or maybe we keep this in the main one, uh, there is a whole situation with the lion and unicorn. They stand for countries. Who the funk? Who'd have thunk? First thing that we see at the clearing is a beautiful crown with a jewel, beautiful bejeweled crown Bejeweled? that's just lying in the middle of the clearing. It, we give it no further thought because the second Tristan wants to go for it, Yvain stops him and asks him if he hears drums. These are not indeed drums. They are the hoofs of a unicorn Ooh. that is bloodied and showing up on, at the clearing, followed by a lion. And then they fight. And the lion gets the unicorn neck in his mouth. And then Tristan shows incredible bravery because he steps in. He or stupidity. Hands... No, no, no. This is bravery. He steps in because Yvain asks him. Yes. So he takes the crown and he hands it the lion with there is no need for you to kill the unicorn. Here's your crown. Be at peace. Puts and it go on away. the lion, yeah. Yeah. And so this way he literally saves the life of the unicorn. He reacts with instinct at this point. Uh it is said at one uh, before he goes on the clearing that if he would have had the time to think, he would have realized how ridiculous this, this situation is and that he doesn't have anything to do and there's nothing that he can do to save this situation or anything like that. But before he has time to think that, he is standing in the clearing and he is remembering Mrs. Cherry telling him this little nursery rhyme or whatever you call it. The lion beat the unicorn all about the town. He beat him once, he beat him twice with all his might 
and main. He beat him three times over, his power to maintain. And first thing he does is he takes the crown and actually literally fully puts it on the lion. Hmm. Which is wild. It's just wild. Like, And it works because the lions start prancing around the clearing going... Ooh, everybody, look at me. I am so cool. Which I feel like it's the best portrait of the Brits or the English at the time. Just look at me. I am wearing a crown. I mean, I it kind of gives of the me universe. the Hamilton English king song with the da la 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 la. I'm so awesome. You'll be back. You can't be without me. That's the vibe I get from the lion. This is literally from now my head canon that this is the this is what he is singing and the trees <laughs> are prancing. and and then he he's prancing and singing this and he, then he da, goes da, 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 everybody and then the all forests the trees join in and everybody's just going beautiful beautiful this. we this create the kiss. best head cannons i say oh I'm in love with this. Mm-hmm. So, of course, now the unicorn is badly hurt, but they stay with the unicorn because Tristan does not have the heart to deny Yvain that request. Interesting, huh? Interesting. Book Tristan is kinder, smarter, and braver than movie Tristan in the beginning. Yes. Now we go back to Lamia. And Morvaneg. this is Moroneg. <sighs> Just call her Witch Queen. Don't call her Lamia. In the book, she's not Lamia. Okay. Uh, now we go back to the Witch Queen and her meeting Ditchwater Sal yep. for not the first time, as we have learned again. But basically, their interaction goes very much word for word, except for a couple of details. The biggest difference here is that she does not start telling the truth and then realize that she has been fed Limbus grass, but she is told that she has just eaten Limbus grass and then Cell deliberately starts interrogating her. Yes. Which gives a tiny little bit more agency to Cell. I feel like Cell was more cheeky in the movie because she started asking the questions before sneaky sneaky yeah yeah it was it was a sneaky questioning yeah. rather than this way she is very much owning it yeah. and the power that she's created or that she's holding over the witch queen that she doesn't know it's a witch and queen. of course the main difference here is that we do get a prophecy here that we do not get in the movie because in the movie of course the witch queen dies at the very end here we have the squirrel has not yet found the acorn that will grow into the oak that will be cut to form the cradle of the babe who will grow to slay me. And I'm sorry, this is an incredibly badass prophecy. This is amazing. And I love that we get it, but because we get it, and I'm pretty sure because she has brought it to the world's attention, we actually do get the squirrel at the end of this Later on, yes. That uh, takes the acorn and then buries it to forget about it. But that's not in this it. chapter, right? That's later, later. No, I'm pretty sure that's at the end no. of this encounter. No, 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 no. No, did I? I, I wrote that down. I wrote that down. Where's the squirrel? Squirrel, 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 squirrel. No, I did not write it down. Am I an idiot? How dare you? So here we go. Uh, yes, because they have this encounter. And uh, on a page 115 of mine, the witch queen says, uh, the squirrel has not yet found the acorn, which is what you just uh, told us. 
And then a page later, a red squirrel quested, hesitating a little, into the firelight. It picked up an acorn, held it for a moment, in its hen-like front paws, as if it were praying. Then, in ran away, to bury the acorn and to forget about it. That's what, that is page 107 for me. It is 116 and 117 for me. It's on the end, in the beginning. (laughs) Oh, you're right. All right, but this is also all we do get for this moment, and we pop over to Primus, and he is, in my opinion, much more competent. He's very smart and very suspicious, which I appreciate. Yeah, yeah. So he very has like sleek. all this plan, like with the, so he's shaving his beard, and he has like the stand in with the boat and the complicated plan, and then oh, and then the person slips and all, blah, blah, blah. like it's all very layered and fancy, fancy. So I'm very much happy with Primus trying to evade Septimus. I mean, it's not a very long-term solution because in the end he needs to kill Septimus. Yes, but I wonder if this is a situation where if he were to get to the stone first and manage to get the stone... He would be king without killing his last brother, yes. Exactly. So then he couldn't... It dems the rules that Septimus couldn't kill him then because he's already the Lord, I suppose. Because I don't think we have a clarity on that for the rest of the book. So this is just something that I'm thinking. This is why I would imagine he would be chasing after the stone rather than trying to get rid of Septimus. Because Septimus is too sneaky sneaky. Like It would be more dangerous to try kill Septimus than to evade Septimus until you are king. And then once you're king, you probably can just have him killed. Or don't have to worry about it because them's the rules. I'm... I don't know. I don't know. It could be it, it could be a possibility. Um there is a story for another time. Thanks, Neil. I'm sure you'll write it. <laughs> pew pew pew. So many spin-offs needed but for Stardust. This is something that I would like to ask Neil. Like what is the situation there? Is he going after the stone because after Because he, he becomes... doesn't want to kill Septimus first for whatever reason? Please elaborate. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah, yeah, put yeah. it on the list. For formulate it somehow. Yeah, yeah, you know me. I, I got this. The questionnaire is my job for this reason. Eh. We go back to Tristan and Evane, and again, many, many differences. We have both of them riding the unicorn, mm-hmm. and when Tristan needs to find food, he does not tie Evane to a tree, but instead he trusts her. Wrongfully so. But he trusts her. He trusts her and thus creating a certain bond between the two of them that is later going to be honored. And it is also something that's going to help him out with the tree in a moment. Exactly. Like had he behaved wrongly, it would have had negative consequences for him. But because he keeps being kind. Exactly. It pays off for him. And also he's like really, really kind because when he comes back, he even has food for the unicorn. Yeah. And yes, he is upset that they they are gone. But it's rightful that he's upset because she promised. Exactly. And that's absolutely fair that he is upset over it, but he's not like, you know, he is trying to find her, but it's not like, I now have to find her and, you know, my anger will rain upon her because she betrayed me or anything like that. He's not angry about it. He's just unhappy that he trusted her and he's disappointed now. I was about to say, he is disappointed in her. Yeah. But but I also completely understand that Evane 
chooses to leave because she never wanted to be part of this. She now has a way to move around with the unicorn who was sent by her mother. So, you know, she feels like she is leaving justifiably. The thing I feel is, like. it doesn't really make sense for her to leave by herself because she needs help with her leg. And Tristan literally said that they need to get medical attention for her leg. So it would have been smarter to stay with him until her leg gets fixed and then mm, fuck off. Mm, mm, but Yvain sometimes does not strike me as the smartest cookie in the box when it comes to human relations. And she's been on Earth for, what, days at this point. She has only met in person one human being. Yeah, and she's not a fan point. of everything, so I... And she hates Tristan. No, she hates everything, except the unicorn. Also that. I mean, obviously. We leave Tristan alone, and we go to the Witch Queen, who smells in the wind that Yvain is coming to her. She has no runes, like in the movie. Like, that yes. is the only difference in this short moment. And I don't think there's anything else that we have with her in this chapter. No. And then we go to Primus where he is huddled by the fire and he's all by his lonesome. Because which is Primus. <laughs> which, was he yes, traveling he was only alone. by himself? He had only that... the company of the ghosts. Yes. Oh, because we talked about that because he's Primus yes. and he's only one. That's why I said yeah. because he's Primus. I was referencing ourselves. <laughs> the last thing that we see in this chapter, or rather read in this chapter, is it reminds me of the epic writing that we I've, I kept talking about when we were covering the movie. <laughs> when when uh, we have... It's a very cinematic moment where we have like little bits where we are seeing at the end of the chapter where all of our characters are and what they're doing mm. kind of at the same time and we're ending it with Yvain sitting on the unicorn and you know holding on to him and traveling so we have epic riding do you know what the last thing is I wrote down for this chapter that Primus pissed on his fire because for some reason it was incredibly amusing to me it's really funny because if you think back when uh, Tristan is described taking a leak mm -hmm. he is described as urinating while both Primus, Primus and Septimus are pissing which also it just is the play with words and create play with words and creating a certain feeling and again I am bowing to Neil Gaiman because it just creates a situation and environment and a certain thing je ne sais quoi about the characters and, and the way the certain specific words that he is using to describe them so I really really like that it's also curious I mean like Mr. Gaiman why did you call it piss for <laughs> those dudes and urinate for the other one is that a generational thing the older you are the cruder the word maybe okay so chapter 6 Take it away. Chapter six. What the tree said. That's what she said. No. Ha. Ah. Uh, I'm sorry, but when I read that subtitle, I was like, <laughs> absolutely same. Because Good. that's that's it's the way of phrasing to quote Archer. Phrasing. Yes. Also, it's amazing that both of our brains sometimes are simply twelve. <laughs> Obviously. So there is a reason why we understand each other. There's a reason. Sometimes, we're friends. Yes. Very much. No, we get the mm. dream and it is very, very much like in the movie, but the content is different because it is the moon talking to Tristan and she is talking about her daughter. Yes. The moon also gives him less information. She just tells him, you have to save her. She is in danger. You have to save her, yes. essentially. And he does not wake with the mission and instantly yeah. starts running in a frenzy. Yeah. 
It makes so much more sense this way. But it's less dramatic. Of course. It is visually less... Intense. Intense. It is less importance. Less... There is a word I'm looking for. I can't think of it. It is less urgent. Yes. This way. Yeah. Because he wakes up and he hears a voice. And we already talked about who this tree is. I mean... Based on, anyway. We started talking about the tree and everything, but he starts this conversation with the tree and during this conversation, we learned that the tree originally was a wood nymph. Mm -hmm. And so there are various stories, of course, about wood nymphs being chased and deciding to not be captured and instead growing into plants. Like, Greek mythology has at least one of those, for example. So, yeah. It's a lot of uh, female creatures being chased by male creatures and having the option of either dying, being sexually assaulted, or turning into a plant. Yay. The fact that they have the option is nice. The fact that they those are Those are the chased... options is bad. Yes. Like, if those are your only three options, probably also would go for the tree. I would probably go for die because I do not want to be a tree. Thanks. Oh, no, I think like a tree is kind of amazing in this sense because this tree seems very competent. This tree is great, but also I would not like to be pissed on by animals and I would not like to have random people sleep underneath me while I can't actually do anything about it, you know, except for maybe dropping a branch on them. We have the conversation with the tree and everything and there is a line in the book or in this conversation that felt very prophetic to me for this entire story mm -hmm. and that is the to own something you just have to know it's yours and then be willing to let it go. I literally I have chills right now but it's also not only it is relevant to the story but it is relevant to a healthy relationship in a regular setting. I mean it is basically a paraphrase if you love something let it go if it's truly meant to be it will come back to you which I don't consider very healthy because it is an incredible Incredibly passive approach. Yes, but in this case, it feels less passive and more to own something. You have to know that you own it and be able to let it go rather than let it go. It's going to come back to you. You have to be willing to sacrifice whatever you have if necessary, because that is true love. Not to hold on to it no matter what, which Spoiler alert, at the end of the book, Tristan actually ends up, he does, I, I think that he does love Victoria in a sense. And this is why he is letting her go. Doesn't necessarily mean that Yvain is not his true love. I think he likes her. I don't think he loves her. I think he loves her in a way. He doesn't necessarily need to love her in, uh, I I want to marry you and spend the rest of my life with you. He, you can love somebody without... I know. Yeah. I'm well aware. And I don't think he loves her. Okay. <laughs> anyway that is but in a sense you could see this as a prophetic thing as like mm. no no you're right no, no because this is this is going to be towards the heart rather than Victoria exactly this is for Evane and his future yes the tree, in my opinion, is an amazing tool for exposition because yes. this is what we get here. It is so well done with the exposition. It doesn't even feel like exposition. It's so well done. Like I really, really yeah. enjoy the tree and this entire scene and setup and that this is the vehicle within which we get the necessary information. Also, tree is sassy. Tree is a very sassy. Like this is also the first time Tristan realizes that rushing has never led to success. 
within his travels, but mm -hmm. patience and most importantly, accepting the help of strangers. Exactly. Which is why he slows down and shares the story with the tree and listens to her advice and everything. Mm -hmm. And so he gets all the information that he needs. She says, I will tell you three true things. Yes. Three as an extremely magical number. In I all mean, three, tales. three, three, three. Oh my God. Free the tree of three. Yes, basically. Three, three, three. Anyway, the tree tells him she will give him three, three true things. And three true things. Three through three things. <laughs> and she gives him two. She tells him two. We learn two. She tells him three. She gives him the third one to listen to later. Yeah. She records a message for him. Which is hilarious that this works. This is so cool. It is incredible. So she tells him, we learn that the star is in a grave danger and he needs to protect her. That there is an actual person trying to actively harm her and if he doesn't catch up with her, she will be gone. And then we learn that there is a way of transportation for him if he runs, which is then similar to the movie where uh, he is pushed to get there as far as possible, as fast as possible, because... Everything needs to be timing, timed up well enough. But in the book, he misses the carriage. True. In the movie, he crashes into it and this is why Primus stops. In the book, he misses the carriage, but the woods help because a tree lets fall a branch. So and the branch Primus is big enough. Yeah, so that Primus can't pass. So that means the trees talk with each other because that means the female tree must have asked another tree to help. Mm -hmm, exactly. Also... The other tree, the oak, has dropped big enough branch that Primus is unable to move it on his own. Yeah. Which is also very important because this gives them the introduction. This gives Tristan... The opportunity. This give, gives Tristan a way in. Yeah, it's the opportunity for Tristan to prove his worth, basically. That Primus might need him in the future. Yeah. Which is an argument that definitely is a reason why Primus ends up agreeing on I mean, taking him... Mostly journey. because he consults the runes. And the runes tell yes. him that Tristan means no harm to him. Yes. But also uh, the fact that he even consults the runes yeah. is inducted by oh, the yeah. fact that Tristan helps him. And that it is a reasonable approach. We take a very short cut over to the Witch Queen, Morwenek, before we come back to Primus and Tristan. So we learn one detail that gets glossed over in the movie. The two knives she has have different purposes. Because in the movie, she also has two knives. She only chooses to bring one, though. But she has In the both. movie. Not on her, but yes, she owns both. But here, it is explained that one is to cut and one is for the ribs. So one is more stable. Like, one is for bones, one is for skin and flesh. Yeah, so essentially Gross. one is pointy and the other one is a, is a butcher's... It's a cleaver. Cleaver, yes. Anoma knives. We also learn a little bit more about the magic. And I mentioned that in the last episode already. We have, as it stands, it seems, two different types of magic that the Witch Queen is using. One is not that draining for her. To be convincing enough to the things and the beings to become what she wants them to become. She uses words for that. She uh, convinces, essentially, Brevis and the Billy Goat to turn into the what innkeeper she to be. and the maiden. She turns tries to use this on the chariot as well, but then she goes, things are always much more stubborn when it comes to it. 
when I had my true youth, I could have convinced Pebbles to become cities and all of its inhabitants. However, I do not have that power anymore. And that's only then she resorts to using the blue flame and the true transformation that actually is extremely taxing for her because she now has gray streaks in her hair. And it's very curious because this is the one time in the movie where magic is not shown to have taken a toll on her, which I complained about. And yes. In the book, this is the one moment where it's shown to have an extreme high toll on her. So it's very curious that this is the one moment in the movie that is not, but it is the one that is in the book. So, <laughs> yeah, magic. We go magic. back to Primus and Tristan and we have some... Mm-hmm decently interesting interaction between the two of them. It is hilarious to me that Primus comments on the fact that Tristan is a young man in love Mm -hmm. without knowing the backstory and without knowing that Tristan is probably already falling for Yvain. See, he takes it as he is following the... So Tristan tells him he is trying to catch up with this woman that he treated badly and he wants to apologize. Which is true. Yeah, because he was told not to lie and he follows his advices. But he doesn't mention Victoria. Therefore, Primus clearly thinks that this woman he's trying to apologize to, Yvain, he is in love with her. And his actions speak for I am starting to catch feelings for Yvain while his words and his mind are still hung up on Victoria. Which, because we have this amount of time that they're gonna travel together and they have already spent together, it is nice seeing this budding relationship that is going to eventually blossom into a full-blown love. Hmm. And which is the time that we do not have in the movie, which is such a shame, but... Again, completely understandable given the circumstances. So, you know, it is really, really cute. And they are bonding so well, like Primus and Tristan. Uncle and nephew. Yeah, they're buddies. The fact that they invite each other into their respective houses at one point. It's just mwah. Love In another it. life, they could have been happy family. Yes. Unless Primus would murder Tristan because he would be worried that Tristan would try to mi- uh, That's murder why I Primus say for the throne. another life. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> eh. I took it as like if they were aware of who they are to each other. No, that's still this life. Yeah, yeah. I suppose. Because we also get the whole, if you're traveling with me, there is this man, if he shows up, do not get in the way yes. because he will kill you. Like Primus is... I don't want to say protective, but it is the closest word I can think of. Of Tristan, He's, like he does not want him to get into the crossfire. Basically, like he Primus feels comes very fatherly, as a very decent human being compared to his brothers, especially Septimus. And I feel like in the movie, Primus does not come across as good. Primus is a bit of a prick in exactly. the movie. Like he's still the least bad of the brothers, but he is very entitled and very. But here uh, he comes across as honestly honorable. Yes, and Septimus with his love of poison does not come across as honorable because poison is like literally the least honorable way of killing someone. It's sneaky, it's underhanded, like la 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 la. So I like book Primus a lot more than movie Primus. Yeah, for sure. I do enjoy movie Septimus a lot more than book Septimus though I have to say yeah because I feel like there's more nuance to movie Septimus which is unusual that the movie character gets more nuance because Septimus doesn't really do much in here like he's very irrelevant to the story I mean we have the, the whole fact- stalking Moronek because she killed Primus and everything like we do get yes. some sides of him I mean he does things but he's irrelevant to the story that is a really good point in the grand scale mm-hmm. Primus is more relevant to the story than Septimus. Because Primus moves Tristan towards the star, while Septimus is just like a background character that is just 
after murdering people. He doesn't actually do anything. The only thing that he might be kind of relevant is that he, by attacking the witch queen, he is making her use up more of her youth. So by the time she gets to the star back at the market, she is completely out of it. But even if she had more magic, it doesn't change anything because Yvain already doesn't have her heart anymore. Exactly. But now I'm thinking about it. Septimus is also completely irrelevant in the movie. In the movie, he is used as a tool. No. What, yes. what does he do? Well, what he, does first he do of all, he kills the story. He kills the two witches. So he no. gives Tristan a chance. No, 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 no. No, he Trist- kills one witch. He kills the first witch, right? That's the only yeah. thing he does. Because the animals kill the second witch and Yvain kills yes. the last witch. The, and Lamia in the movie is using Septimus as a tool to fight yeah, Tristan. Yeah, as, as a sword, basically. But that's also yes. not Septimus, but just his body. But yeah, yeah aside but- from the fact that he only kills like that, that he kills the one witch that's the only thing he yeah. has in a movie otherwise he's completely irrelevant I hadn't realized that because he feels so important <laughs> yeah I mean he wow. gets rid of two of the brothers for us which also is not relevant to us like, not really no yeah so no I hadn't realized that Septimus is nearly irrelevant in a movie and completely irrelevant in a book Septimus wow. is the ineffable husband of no. Stardust. No, don't you, beloved don't you go, character. Don't you go insult my boys, beloved character. In no maybe world one of are the they most... on the same plate as Septimus. How dare you, rude? Maybe I'm like the little folk. I dare anything. Mm-hmm. But you don't know as much. <laughs> if we talk about the relevance to Bruno? the main plotline. <laughs> Of this specific book and the Good Omens book. No, it you're is right. A similar of course, you're right. Character. Yes, but still, I don't feel I comfortable know. I having Septimus and my boys on the same plate. I'm sorry. I know you're right. I shouldn't have never. I should no, have never brought it up. You're right. You're right, and I hate it that you're right. <laughs> Screw you. All right. Do you have anything else? For chapter six. We end chapter six with Primus and Tristran making it to the inn. Seeing, talking about the unnaturality, unnatural, talking about the storm being unnatural or maybe even more than natural. Supernatural! Maybe even supernatural. Yeah, that, that was a laughing moment for me in the book. Yes, absolutely. And that brings us for, to them seeing the light at the end and Tristran knowing that it is going to be an inn and that he is getting closer to Yvain, knowing it within him. Within him, because of his gift. (laughs) Because of this. We go to chapter seven at the sign of the chariot. And the entire chapter happens within the inn. Like this is the big inn scene. It feels much smaller than it is in the movie. Like this is embellished in the movie, it feels, even though it is still epic, but it is made bigger. The thing is, because this is like a fight scene, this is a battle scene, this is a very visual moment in the story. So it it just works better or very 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 well on the screen so yes while also the book is much more savage because not only we have the murder of the unicorn and the death of the billy goat or the innkeeper billy we also have brevis die 
And then, which is something we're going to get into in the next chapter, the unicorn is not just left behind. No, it also gets mutilated in death. Exactly. So we start this chapter with the unicorn being absolutely terrified of Morwenek. And it is not completely made clear if it is because it's the witch queen or is if it is because she isn't a maiden. That is actually something that I was like... I forgot that this is a thing with unicorns and I forgot that this is a very patriarchy bullshit with unicorns that only if you are a true maiden you're allowed to approach them. I think personally the way I read that situation I mean it's hilarious because it also means that Tristan is a virgin. Yep. Because like to me to me it's not a patriarchal thing but to me it is only innocence may approach yeah. it because it does not only like it, if it was only with women then I'd be with you with patriarchy but because it also counts for men for me it yeah, is to me, a innocence, inexperience. It is not a virgin, virgin, your hymen is intact thingy. See, my issue with this is that I don't have the word innocence connected to it. I have the word purity connected to this. And that is and patriarchy. That, yes. is, that is a problem that absolutely. I have with that. Yeah, but, no, but that is an absolute That's thing. why. To me, to me, unicorns protect innocence. And stars. Because stars are innocent. To be fair, unicorn didn't like Tristan either. <laughs> but he accepted him because he was giving him such attitude because it's a sassy unicorn yeah sassy the unicorn also Tristan is much less innocent than Yvain that is true because he has lived in a world and he has kissed Victoria not just because of that but also because of the experiences that he has gone through so true. like it made sense to me but I found it very curious that it was like this double level thingy like mm-hmm. is it one or the other or both uh, why not both I assume you were ecstatic that we do get the boiler lobster hot reference I know it's so cute I love that. I, I love that expression. I, I can't believe that I have never heard it before. Maybe it's one but of it, the needles. It makes, no, I'm sure this is. this needs to be something real because that makes complete sense because boiled lobster means red. You're going to end up red. It's going to be so boiling, you're going to be red. Did you not understand what that meant when we were watching the movie or did you just not pay attention to it? Okay, so if I search for, in quotation marks, boiled lobster hot as a, in quotation marks, as an expression, I get three links in the entirety of the internet and two are not that expression and the only I get is from a Tumblr Hmm. where I don't even when I click on it get that quote so yeah I don't think it's a standard expression Hmm. so I think it might actually be like of course it's understandable yeah but I still I got recipes for lobsters if I google that the thing is you need to put it in quotation marks to have it like in exact this word order so I think it might actually be a gaymanism I'll accept it if we want to ask him we can just put it on the list if we need to well if we run out of questions it's going to be a low priority question you know it's going to be a number three priority yes yeah totally fine maybe even number four priority so that it's like okay oh honey I'm so sorry we already asked you 70 questions but we maybe got the opportunity to interview you so we wanted to make sure we asked everything (laughs) (laughs) but wait there's more so I was very happy. I knew you were going to be happy with Boiled Lobster Hot, but I was very happy because there is no oogling happening from mm-hmm. Brevis. And Evane even gets like a paper privacy screen to undress yes. behind. So yes. it's much less leery. So yeah. I really enjoyed that. It is basically mostly very true to, or the movie is fairly true to this chapter but we get little details that make the book a little bit less creepy let's say 
And as we mentioned, Primus is a better person in the book. So, for example, he doesn't undress immediately. One, yeah, he doesn't he just is. go into the bath or yeah. some bullshit. Yeah, also, that's just like what. Another very important tiny tidbit here is Yvain does not know about the danger to stars on Earth. She is not yes. aware that this is something that might happen to stars. Does she not? In she the doesn't movie, know. It feels like she should know, but the fall has yeah. like kind of scrambled her brain. Yeah. Because the stars all talk with each other. Yes. And they all know. And, and they the stars know. warn Tristan about everything. But here, the mom, the moon is the one who knows. Not the stars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she doesn't want to terrify them. Yeah, it no makes reason. sense. Because why would they you need warn to your children about something that will never happen? Because why should they fall? Exactly. When angels fall, they also rise. We also get another detail in this chapter. And that is when Primus notices the stone, he sees it and he names it. He says, you have the stone, the power of Stormhold. And she says, so why don't you ask me for it right now so I can have this but you, I can have this you're over you're jumping with. ahead like a lot am I sorry yeah okay so another di- another ginormous difference the witch queen does not fix Yvain's leg yes that was loud yes so that is very true big 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 difference like she still feels better and everything like all of this interaction between the witch queen and Yvain and her being happier and um, Morovec being very motherly and everything that is very similar also her thinking there are good people in this world exactly but her not wasting magic on fixing her leg because it made no sense why would you make the person or the creature that you want to murder be more mobile like it makes no sense the only reason we have that, I think, is to ensure that Yvaine is happy and that she feels no pain. I think you only have it so that the actress didn't have to like limp, uh, limp for the rest of the movie. Yeah, I mean, obviously, from the from the practical point of view, yes, but from the story point of view. If you think Islamia, it makes sense to me that she wants her to be not in pain because not in pain means happier. Yeah. And she doesn't feel like she would get away from her anyway because how would she? The witch queen in the movie is even more arrogant, I feel. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, For sure. So now Primus and Tristran reach the inn and everything. And just like in the movie, Tristran goes into the stable to take care of the horses. And Primus goes into the inn. Because he's a good boy. But like you said, Primus does not just blindly go naked into a bath or anything, but he has a conversation and everything and he refuses the wine and sends Mm -hmm. it into the stable. Which, again, very similar, like in the movie. The thing with this situation is, first of all, Tristan is the one who offers to take care of the horses. Yes. Which, in the movie, I think he, he is sent, sent to yes. do that. And second of all, because of him actively going out of the way and not going inside, because he knows Yvain is inside. He can feel that. He is... He remains sort of hidden yeah. to the witch queen and she doesn't know until she's told yeah. that there is another person there. He is so, a wild card. He is yes. the hidden joker to fix Possibly. this game, basically. And yes. also, like, he is preparing, he's imagining what is going to happen when he apologizes to Yvain. And it's very, very endearing, actually. Is it when he starts talking about, oh, Yvain is going to tell me how it's okay and she's going to come with me to, to meet Victoria? Yeah, because it's so ridiculous. 
this is why it's, it's so endearing good. because it is it so is far beyond any reality because yes. it shows that as positive as we see Tristan being portrayed he's still a 16 year old boy yeah like he is still he's human he's a baby he's still innocent and naive on certain levels and naive yes we get the whole the unicorn saves Tristan from the drink and then he remembers oh wait poison unicorn la 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 another nursery rhyme that I am not aware of so yay we are not English neither we have grown up in England and once again instead of charging into the inn he takes a time and he listens to the leaf because he feels like this is the moment because the tree told him you will know when you will need it and he knows when you need it the most listen to yeah. this when you need it the most yeah and, and he, knows he knows that this is the moment and so he listens to the leaf and we don't Sorry. get actually like exactly word for word what the no. leaf tells him no. but we learn we learn about it and it is amazing. So then we switch over into the inn and Yvaine has taken her bath. Yvaine is dressed. And I found this She's dressed in the bathrobe. Yeah, but she is dressed. So yes. the jewel is not visible because she is wearing it around her hip. Primus does not see the jewel. He looks at her and he knows she has it. That makes it better. Yes. Because that makes him trying to find the stone more transparent and this more... This is metaphysics. Yes, this is this is more magic. Yes, than, this is metaphysics. Oh, look, this looks like this stupid stone that I'm exactly. supposed to be looking for. He looks at her and like she knows that she has the obligation. He knows that she has the stone. Yes. And so he calls her out that she has the stone and she's says, well, then ask me for it so I can be done with it. But before he can do that, he gets killed because Tristran is just a tiny bit too late yes. to warn him. Well, first of all, yes, he's late to warn him, but also for some reason, the witch queen is like, I'm not going to be supporting any chat- chitter chatter. It's fine. Dead now. Like, I... they weren't even doing anything, girl. If I remember it rightly, Primus was actually trying to strike her down. Like He, he even um... put up a fight. Give me a second. Oh, he uh, he reaches out for his short sword, I think. Short blade, whatever you call it in this book. But she is incredibly fast. So even... No, no, no. Here. Okay, Tristan... so Primus called Tristan running in. They have tried to poison me. The Lord Primus reached for his short sword. But even as he went for it, the witch queen took the longest of the knives and drew the blade of it in one smooth practical movement across his throat. Dot, dot, dot. Yes. That's it. And he's dead. So he's trying, but he has no chance. Yeah. Also, obviously, he has regular swords. She has obsidian magical bullshit. So. But also, he knows the swords. Uh, he knows the. He knows the knives. He knows them from a book. Yeah. He from knows a scroll, them from from an ancient from scroll. a scroll. So he realizes that this is an ancient being in front of him. And I'm pretty sure he at this at the second he dies, he realizes that this who is Yvain one of the is. And he also realizes who Yvain is, probably. Possibly. Too late now. <laughs> because I think wait, 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 wait. Here, Primus' eyes fell upon the knives upon the wood of the tabletop. He recognized them. There were tattered scrolls in the vaults of Stormhold in which those knives were pictured and their names were given. The knives have names. 
Mm. Neil does not tell us the names. I'm kind of curious. Put it on the list. Because I mean, like, Mace named her nice. So Is it like Stubby and... We never learned the second name and we have not met Leslie Ann yet, so we never asked. They were curious. old things from the first age of the world. So, yeah. Sorry, did not want to derail us. So, Primus dead. Tristan in there. Moranag just outed herself. And in storms the unicorn. Well, before the unicorn actually storms in, she asks Billy and Brevis to take care of Tristan. True. So as they are about to charge him, the unicorn swoops in to save him. And pierces the Billy Goat's head. First, he kicks Brevis's head. Dead. And then he uh, impales Billy's head. Good. Unicorn enters the fray. Mormonek has to fight the unicorn. And she steps it through the eye into the skull. It is very gruesome. And it's I so do not like it. crass. Like, it's wow. But like Neil said in the interview, he wanted to remind people that this is not necessarily a fairy tale for children. I was going to just suggest to remind us of the interview. And I understand where he's coming from. And I understand that nobody is safe. And by killing of the unicorn... Corn. It is a great example of the of the fact that nobody is safe. Yeah. But I did not like it. It made me feel very unhappy. Unicorns are not supposed to... There's not enough unicorns in the world to just kill them off. While this happens, we, of course, learn that Tristran has warmed the wax that is left over from the Babylon candle in his hand. And he wraps it so that it turns into a candle. So he takes... I believe he takes his... Lace to it use as says a makeshift. What it is? Yeah, I forgot to write yeah. it down. Does he? Does he not use the leaf? N- no, I don't think so. Uh, I think he stops to grab a lace or something. Chapters of ripped a lace from his jerkins and closed the wax around it. There you go. Lace of some kind. I it's weird memories. So uh, basically, he again proves to be extremely good under pressure. He's very capable. He's quick thinking on his feet. And he's actually able to pull things off out of a, a pocket wax. And also he pleads with Yvain that even though she is in pain and she literally cannot walk, she has to walk lest they die. So there is no, you think of home and I think of home and then we get stuck and then we then we get stuck and then we blame each other. No, he holds her closely to him. He thrusts his hand into literal fire mm-hmm. and then they start walking. Exactly. And they continue to walk as far as the tiny improvised it- mini Babylon candle will take them. Yes. And until he has, like, until he cannot longer bear the pain. This finishes chapter seven. It was very emotional, very intense. Well, this is it again. And no surprise for anyone, we didn't finish. That's what he said. There's going to be more because there's always more. I know. And this is such a fine time to cut this. Obviously, it's the perfect time. And we know it right now. And it's totally spontaneous and actually is this time like honestly it's surprising we are surprised by ourselves so we hope you enjoyed this we also hope that you tune in in two weeks for the next part and until then we say thank you for listening and bye bye